you are invited to pause and take a closer look at a Bible passage. Perhaps you need a word of encouragement today or some wisdom and instruction. Through God's Word, our focus turns to the Lord and our hearts open up to His guidance and direction. This podcast is part of the global outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome to Walk with God. Welcome, friends. As we begin today, we want to invite you to come walk in Israel with us. Over these next weeks, Walt and I will open our Bibles and visit various sites in Israel where we've been many times. We want to share some stories, some lessons from God's Word with you. And Walt and I will host a Walk with God Israel trip November 8 to 19 later this year, and we would love to have you join us in Israel. Walt's first trip to Israel was in 1995. Was it that long ago? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you went when you were six. (laughs) Yeah, I wish. And we have led over 30 trips in the past two plus decades. And God's word comes alive in amazing ways when we stand at sites and we open up the pages of our Bible. Hearts and lives are changed and transformed We love walking with other people in Israel and just seeing God's word do its work in all of our hearts and lives, and it does in ours as well as those who join us in Israel. Oh, for sure. Well, Walt, let's share some details about a first travel day in Israel. We arrive at Ben Gurion Airport. Everyone's tired, of course, and then we travel north along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And you know, Israel is actually only about the size of New Jersey, um, the fifth smallest state here in the United States. And if I do my math right, that means there's 45 states in the United States that are larger than Israel. Some many times. Texas is 33 times larger than Israel. Right. And then there are five major zones in Israel. And so even even that very first day as we're traveling, traveling along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to our hotel for the first night, we start to get a feel for those coastal plains, one of the five zones. Yeah, and we start in the plain of Sharon, which is great. And as we travel north, we'll be going right up alongside of the Mediterranean. And Lord willing, we can see a beautiful sunset on the Mediterranean Sea. Then we have the Shephelah, which are the low rolling hills that are beautiful. And we'll we'll see those a little later in our trip as we come up to Jerusalem after days up in the north part of Israel. We have the central hill country, which is beautiful. And we love, of course, um, the one day, especially uh, when we get to see the Judean wilderness and just marvel at the beauty of that particular zone in Israel. And then we see the Jordan 
Rift Valley. Um, that region in the south is called the Negev, the desert. And then when you go north, you go into the mountains, the Golan. And we just love all of these, but um, Israel is so diverse. I don't know if you can tell, but Brenda and I get excited about talking about Israel, but it is so diverse. One of the, the second most biodiverse country in the world. Um, and it is just uh, amazing. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth is the Dead Sea. And we'll go there and uh, we won't swim in it, but we will float in it. And I guarantee every single person will, will float. But then we go up into the Golan Heights and we go up and we'll see snow-covered mountains there. And, and so it's very different. And then if we went further south, we would even see coral reefs down on, on the edge of the Red Sea, which will be just absolutely a delightful time. So um, we look forward to that. We've even had discussions that if we got a phone call and we were needed in Israel to help with a, another tour group, we figure, what, two hours we could have our suitcases packed and I, be ready to go? <laughs> I think two hours is, is, is sufficient because <laughs> we're always ready to go. Well, we won't go into lots of details, but, you know, on our touring schedule, we we have a, a really great schedule we get into, and I love that when we go to Israel, just a morning wake-up call, uh, believe it or not, 6 a.m. in the morning, and then breakfast at 7, and the bus is ready to pull out at 8 o'clock for a full day of the sites that are on that day's schedule. The food in Israel is very good, fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, um, well-prepared, complete breakfast and dinner buffets at our hotel each day. And so we take good care of our guests. Um, our hotels do a great job, too. And then after that first night, and I say of rest, <laughs> usually you wake up about 3 a.m. that next morning, but we'll board again our private motor coach for the very first site, Caesarea by the Sea. And, and the word Caesarea, actually, it's Caesar's town. It's, it's Caesar's place by the sea. It was dedicated in honor of Caesar Augustus. Well, even as we begin there, um, I love this site, and, and I'm going to be doing a lot, some of the teaching or men, much of the teaching today because Caesarea will be my site. Now, we'll give you examples. Brenda also is going to be teaching, and so it, this is going to be fun. We've both taught these sites many, many times, but we've never done it together on a tour, so we're, we're excited about this. So the first lesson that we'll talk about in Caesarea, and these are all from the book of Acts, the first lesson is that God does not show favoritism in salvation. So we need to tell even the most unlikely people about Jesus. And I, I love this. Um, we're in Acts chapter 10, and this is, there's a man at Caesarea named Cornelius. He's a centurion of what may was called the, the Italian cohort. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision of an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him, the angel, and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
And by the way, just even mentioning the Roman centurion um, in the Gospels, um, these are are not just your average Joes. Um, a Roman centurion um, would would lead anywhere from a hundred to seven hundred men into battle in one of the toughest fighting forces known in the ancient world. And the Italian court was especially had a reputation of being ferocious. And here's this leader of men. I'm looking to God and, and, and seeking to have a relationship with him. And it's interesting because Peter, who, who's south, actually um, south of, 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 of this place, he's going to have to come up to Caesarea because uh, he's visited by an angel, and he's told that he needs to go up there, and he's told that you need, he needs to associate with the Gentiles. And what I love here, Walt, as you point out, Um, Just even your title to this segment uh, today, uh, that we would share with the most unlikely that there is salvation through Jesus Christ. This man was a devout man, one who feared God. We never know who God has put his finger on, has put his hand on. And so Peter is called to come and speak with Cornelius. And you know, it's interesting because earlier in the Gospel of Acts, I'll just mention it, but, um, but there's a, another disciple that's there. I mean, there's another disciple, Philip, who's taken the Gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's, he's gone and been with um, the, the people of mixed race that were up in Samaria. He's done this. So he ends up there in Caesarea, but he's not the one that takes the Gospel message to, to this Roman centurion. In, in spite of that, something else, someone else needs to, and I mentioned already, that's Peter. And Peter, um, not only is he going to take the gospel and, and is it going to transform the, these Gentiles, but it's also going to transform Peter's view of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. And I love this in, in Acts 10, 34 and 35. Peter says this, opening in his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. See that word? But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcomed to him. And so just a head-to-heart, an application here for for you and for me, um, share the gospel with an unlikely person. Um, When's the last time you told someone about what Jesus was doing in your life? Um, But also, Thank the person who shared with you. Write a note of thanks or an email or, or a call. And the person that shared the gospel with you, if they're still living, and just even knowing that God has a, a purpose in you talking to. I thank God so much that 44 years ago, someone came and shared the gospel with me, and it finally clicked. I'd had other people witnessing to me for a number of years, but this time, I finally got it. And um, and that's transformed my life. Changed, yes, absolutely. And uh, I love this too. Like you said, this was also for Peter's benefit, for his good, because he needed 
to get a bigger picture of God's grace, yeah. of, the, of the free gift he offers and of his grace that it was not just for Jews, but it was for the Gentile. Well, I know that we've got a couple other lessons we love to share at this site, Walt. So why don't you tell us about lesson two? Well, lesson two is, uh, is important. It's found in Acts chapter 12, and it involves Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great, who tried to kill baby Jesus. And this lesson is important because it teaches us that God opposes the proud, and that is focused on Herod Agrippa. I love James 4, 6, says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, say, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Herod Agrippa, the first, he's anything but humble. Um, In the beginning of Acts 12, he goes ahead and he puts the apostle James, the brother of John, he puts him to death. And that, that is the first apostle that has been murdered, that has been uh, martyred for, for the cause of Jesus Christ. But he's seeing the people get all excited about that. He decides that he's going to arrest and put to death Peter. But Peter miraculously escapes uh, as a direct answer to prayer, rescued by an angel of the Lord. And Peter goes to John Mark's house where people are praying for him. But Herod kills the soldiers because that was the norm. If you let people escape, if you, if you did not fulfill your duty, and there was a death sentence on you. He kills the soldiers who let Peter out, and he goes down to Caesarea. And while he's there, he, he seems to be continuing to be frustrated. And, and Caesarea is just this wonderful site that, that was a kind of the, the summer and spring, summer and fall. It was the, 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 the palace where rulers of Israel wanted to go. Well, he's very ticked off. In Acts 12, 20 through 23, it says this. Now he, Herod Agrippa I, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, modern day um, north of, of of Israel, and in this case, with one accord, these people came to him, having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country, by Israel. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put out his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them, the people of Tyre and Sidon. And the people of Tyre and Sidon keep crying out, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. I mean, they're, they're trying to brown nose him. They're trying to get him to show them favor. And the scripture says, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. And I, I love this story, not because it, 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 it's a story that's just filled with death and, and discouragement, but at the same time, it reminds us, don't become proud, um, proud of your, your money that you have, or, or the car that you have, or the, the home, or the apartment that you have. Instead, we need to say, God, if your will is to take me through this, I want to be part of your, your will. And it's interesting too, Walt, as you know, as Herod comes down to Caesarea, I mean, just a a place of beauty. I mean, we actually walk all around this site and we see the swimming pool that's on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea and just a place of leisure for Herod to come. And then that he's actually seated 
in this area where that looks out over the Mediterranean. I mean, absolutely gorgeous, absolutely right? Absolutely gorgeous. And, and they've preserved that place because that was the place of the king. And so you can still see it even today at the amphitheater there in Caesarea. And we stand there and actually look at this. And so surrounded by Herod is all of the glory of this site, of this beautiful city and then these people praising him don't become proud. And, you know, one of the joys that Brenda and I had um, at Dallas Theological Seminary was working with and for uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck's an amazing guy, but I remember in a pastoral ministries class, him coming in and he, he said, men, he said, if you keep your hand out of the till, in other words, you don't, you don't go after money that's not yours. And then he used his phrase, if you keep your pants on, so you flee and you stay away from sexual sin. And he said, and stay humble. You will be amazed by how God will use you. And that's our testimony. It's, it's by God's grace, we've been able to keep our hand out of the money and, 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 and become greedy. We've been able to keep sexually um, true to the covenant of marriage with one another and then stay humble. Well, Continuing on, it's time, lesson three, and we'll summarize this a little bit because it involves multiple chapters. Um, this is chapters 21, and really it goes on to all the way to, this section goes all the way to Acts 28, and Paul is going to be imprisoned, and because of this, he must take the gospel to Rome. And it says in, in Acts 23.11, you must witness at Rome, really you must witness to the Roman Empire. And in the midst of this, Paul has, um, has, has a lot to say and a lot to teach that he's going to have to be involved in. I'm, I love this when Paul t- talks in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they worthy servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. I'm more so on far more labors and far more imprisonments beaten times without number. Can you imagine that, Brenda? Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. And he goes on to say, I was, I was in the sea. I've spent time in the ocean after, after our ship wrecked. And, and I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from river, dangers from robbers, danger from my countrymen, Danger from the Gentiles. And he goes on, in in the midst of all this danger, he's just telling us, but God preserved me. And as we get to this section, Paul has completed his third missionary journey, and he goes up to this second temple built, really expanded by Herod the Great. And he goes up there to pay a vow, and a riot ensues, and and, um, his life is endangered by the Roman um, by actually the Jewish leaders. And then the Roman uh, soldiers, they take him up into the Fortress Antonio on the northern wall of the Temple Mount. And as he's taken to there, um, he gives a speech and everyone's ticked and they're saying, we got to kill this guy. Well, they find out there's a plot to kill him. And so they end up going, taking him to Caesarea. But here's what's interesting. Paul is going to spend some of the most productive years of his life. I mean, how many churches could he have started in Caesarea under house arrest? And how long is he going to do that? Well, after two years he passed, Festus was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, he let Paul imprisoned 
that these should have been the most productive years of his life. And even as you think about that, sometimes God sets even his most choice of servants um, for a, a time when they are kind of set apart up on the wall. And uh, think about Joseph sold into slaveries by his brothers, um, probably up to 12 years. And, and when he had an opportunity finally as a slave, but also as a prisoner to take vengeance, he doesn't. And he says um, that, that you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Think about Moses, who spent 40 years as an alien, and, and Stephen, in the, who is going to be the first martyr for Christ in Acts 7, tells about Moses that he fled and became an alien in the land of Midian for 40 years until the angel appeared to him in a fire in the burning thorn bush. Um, with that, Jesus, think of him. He was 30, probably a little bit older, but about 30 when he started his ministry. How many opportunities could he have had to minister at a younger age? But he was waiting for God's time. And kind of the application I want to focus on here is this aspect of trust and obey. What are you doing in your life? You need to trust the Lord. You need to obey his commands. Trust and obey. Well, this is our first sight. I'm sorry, I get excited. <laughs> On the very first day, and God's word is powerful. And as we today opened up some chapters in the book of Acts, these stories took place in Caesarea by the sea. And it's a beautiful sight. It's a great way to start our walk in Israel. Each time we open our Bibles, there are new truths for us to learn. When we walk in the land of Israel, God's word turns from the black and white ink on the page to technicolor. His word is alive and it provides instruction for our daily lives. Friends, we want to thank you for joining us. And until our next time together, may you continue to walk with God. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.